Well, how's everybody doing? You're happy? We got a few really happies over here. Anybody over here want to try to rival them? This has been a really, really full week. Um, my, uh, my best friend, John Sparrow, pastor here at Equippers, the building we're in, uh, hosted a, a regional conference that I think 12 to 15 churches were represented, uh, which is really, really cool. And, and uh, I was so encouraged. It was, like I said, very busy. So a lot of stuff happening all weekend. Um, I'll probably crash tomorrow. But uh, just really, really, uh, really encouraging, really encouraging. Very, um, I thought it was just a wonderful balance of believing God for the breakthrough, but also preparing for the long process for him to come. And that's real life. It's just real life. We're all crying out for God to do something significant in our life. And we're believing. He's the God who raises the dead. He hears the prayers of his people. He responds to the cries of their hearts. But we also know he has sovereignly chosen to work through processes that require patience and perseverance. Amen? But what we discovered is it's way easier to have patience and perseverance when you're contending with others for the same thing. So, you know, there was more that happened, but I could really summarize it as just a real, real deep encouragement to step into what God is wanting to do in our time with a full heart. And the best way to do that is to grab someone else with you and say, let's go after all that God has for our, for our time, for our generation, for our city. And so, Lord, I just pray whatever was released over, I know many in our church couldn't make it or, or whatever, but I just pray that you would impart that spirit that believes God is up to something that God is inviting us to know what that is and then to prepare and participate in its unfolding. I just pray those few little lessons that were over and over, that bell that was rung would ring in our spirits today. God is doing something and he's invited us in to know it, to believe for it, and to participate and prepare for it to be manifest. God, I pray that that would apply to friendships. I pray that it would apply, apply to workplaces, to homes, to marriages, to schools, uh, to businesses, Lord, that God is up to something. And we are invited to know that thing and to participate for it to come in greater measure. In Jesus' name, amen. So yeah, my name is Chad. If you don't know, I'm a pastor here, and it's a great, it's a great day to, to welcome you to the house of the Lord. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 6. We're going to be um, um, walking through the Lord's Prayer, which I am so excited about. Um, as we grow together on how to learn how to relate to God as our Father, and how we can grow in the place of confidence and consistency that God loves when we approach him in prayer. That when God hears our voice, it makes his heart flutter. When God sees our gaze locked into his son's face, it moves him. We, we want to go slow and we want to go deep because the, the great commodity that the church has has to offer the world 
is we know where to find God, that God is knowable, that God loves us, and that God is currently inviting people from every nation, tribe, and tongue to come to his house through his son, who is called the door, the gate in John 10, that we enter the Father's house through Jesus Christ. And we wanna grow in our awareness of all that God has for us as our Father. So the Lord's Prayer. So we'll read it. And I, I gave uh, a little more context. Um, we're frozen here, so let me unfreeze. Don't be frozen on me, iPad. Yes, Lord. Uh, I want to go all the way back to verse 5 because Jesus is unpacking something about the nature of his Father. So in, in Matthew chapter 5, he says, um, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemies, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be sons and daughters of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Don't even the hypocrites do that. If you only love those that are like you, don't even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. So the telos, that word telos, the, the end goal of our faith as disciples of Jesus is to become like our dad. Amen? So Jesus, well now, he's just unpacking. It's amazing. I think there's 15 occurrences in the whole Old Testament that refer to God as Father. I think there's between, I, I had it in a note, in a smart book. It's don't, just Google it. You can literally find it right now. It's to the ballpark of three to 400 times in the New Testament he's referred to as Father. How many are thankful the Son of God changed the game of our understanding of how to relate to God as the Father? 15 times in two-thirds of your Bible, hundreds of times in the back third. He didn't change our ability to experience him changed through the Son, Jesus Christ. So be perfect. So that word, the, the idea, the telos, the end goal of your faith is to become more and more like our Father. That's the whole point, to be, to be like him. So he goes on to say, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. He says, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So there's the context, Okay. The Father is amazing. He sends rain on good and bad. He, he pours out favor and blessing and provision on righteous and unrighteous. And then all of chapter six, he's not moved by the things that move us. He looks at the heart. So he's a father that sees into the depths of our motives. Oh. He can see through all of our games. The word hypocrite in the Greek, it literally just means the one who plays the part. So it's, it's literally someone who can play like a, like a performance, a play on a stage. So you're acting, whoo, you're acting one way amongst one people, but in secret, there's no one to, to appreciate your performance. And then you're just left with what's really on the inside. Oh. 
So then after he talks about giving, now he's going to talk about praying. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've already received their reward in full. When you live for the praise of man and their applause and approval, the only reward you'll get is the level to which you are appreciated in the eyes of others. That's it. Your reward's done. It goes that far and no further. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. How many know he has more to work with in the realm of what to reward us with than any man could give us? The Father's got more resources, (laughs) more abundance, more blessing, more bounty. This is the context. So, 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 What I care more about what Jesus is saying, the Father cares more about what is being cultivated in secret than what is being cultivated by the way the world works. Accolades, approval, applause, etc. What moves me, Jesus is saying, what moves me is that the, the Father sees your heart. And when that heart is given over to me, that's the thing that I'm really after. And when you pray, he keeps talking about prayer. So this is the context for the Lord's Prayer. It's very important we get the context. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. How many are thankful for those who aren't many, have many words? How many are thankful? You're in good company. You don't need many words. Don't be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you even ask Him. What a relief. Can I get an amen? Most of us feel defeated about prayer because we don't know what to say or how to pray. Praise God. You can drop all of your performance mentalities when it comes to learning to relate to God as a father. Praise God. It's not about the mastery of, 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 of words or it's not about the quantity. It's not even about the quality of how eloquent you sound in front of others. What moves God is when your heart is moving towards him. And out of the overflow of your heart, all he cares about is you being real and honest with what's going on because out of the overflow of the heart, guess what takes care of itself? The mouth speaks. So you know the prayer that moves him more than any other thing? The praise that moves him more than the one who knows a 10,000 Bible verses, who has a master's degree? You know what moves the Father more? The authentic cry of your heart. Father, this is what I have to bring today. Father, this is what I'm walking through today. Father, this is my reality. I bring it to you. And the Father says, that's all I ever wanted anyway. There's this amazing passage in Micah 6. I don't have time to go there. We have so many slides. I shouldn't even be going here, but it's important. (sighs) Micah 6, the prophet, he paints this picture. And I love what prophets are able to do. They're able to paint with metaphor and allegory and broad brushstrokes. They're able to articulate things at a grand level that all of us can relate to at a micro level. So the prophet has this, he's he's acting like he's, he's representing all of Israel. So he's like, what would really move God's heart? Would he be happy with 10,000 bulls? Would he be happy if we offered him like 100,000 gallons of oil for sacrifice? 
and he, these outlandish offerings. And he's painting this huge picture because every person on the planet, whether they're a believer or not, they want to please others. And really that's rooted in a desire to, be, to please God. It's a desire to, to be able to buck the, the crippling reality of shame, of, of, of uncertainty and fear. Things are not as though they should be. I am not as I should be. Even if you don't have God as your standard, you don't even live to your own ideals. So humans live under this thing. We want to know, is there a way out to escape? And is there a way to just to appease and to please to deal with our conscience that is unsettled until it's been settled in the grace of God? Every person deals with that. They may not be able to articulate that, but it's true because every heart was made for God. He put eternity in our hearts. And we're wondering, how do I get there? How do I please? And I love what Micah says. No, it's not the 20,000 offerings. It's not all the oil. It's not the rams. It's not the goats. It's not all the things that you might think please God. You know what pleases me? It's like one of the most famous verses of the Bible. Uh, Micah 6, 8, who knows it? He has shown you, O mortal man, how to please him. To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Wait, that's it. So, in other words, I, I, I literally just want you to learn to walk with me, to be honest with where you're at, and then to increasingly, in my grace, be able to participate in what I love and what I'm doing. That's the justice and mercy part. Does that make sense? So the prayer, what, what's this have to do with prayer? Oh, you'll see, because he's praying about all these things that Micah gave us a little one-liner for, to, to, to act justly, to love mercy and walk humbly, you'll see that reflected in the Lord's prayer. Those values are in the prayer. So I digress. You don't need many words. You don't need to be flashy or eloquent. Don't be, actually, Jesus says, don't be like him because your father knows what you need before you ask him. So every time we enter into the place of dialogue with God or receiving and listening in the place of prayer, Guess who already knows anything we would ever need on the other end of the line? The Father. Aren't you glad? This is why he can respond to simple prayers like this. Help. I need you. I think that's, in my humble opinion, that might be his favorite prayer. I need you. Who's ever prayed that? I, I need you. This is what the Father, Jesus is about to paint him. He's such a, Jesus is the exegesis of the Father. So that's why Jesus can say, John's gospel, I have a whole message. There's like 20 pages that's not today. I'm not bragging. I just sat and I just said, Lord, I want to know how to relate to you, Father, like your son Jesus related to you. And in John's gospel, the word father is used a hundred times. I just walked through every passage because I want to learn to relate to you just like your son did. And I, because Jesus is able to say in John chapter 12, 45 through 50, if you've seen me, you've, you're getting a front row seat to what my dad looks like. The son bears the resemblance of his father. And guess what? Jesus wants that to be true for all of us. That we would so know our God as a father. That that, that revelation, 
that insight would free us from a thousand misappropriated, misaimed, misdirected attempts to grab and to grasp the things that God just wants to give us because he's a cheerful giver. Anyway, this then is how you should pray. Let's read it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Living a life of prayer, both in private and in public, will keep us from pride, that mentality of I can do it all by myself. It'll keep us from presumption that God is my provider and my father, and it'll keep us from having to perform because God sees our hearts and there's no working up a show because he sees right through it anyway. And then lastly, prayer understood rightly will provide the intimate friendship with the Father that will help us persevere through all of life's trials and will come through them as gold and victorious. Did you know that's your inheritance if you are in Jesus Christ? You're going to get through it. You're going to shine like the stars of Philippians 2.16 as you hold on to the word of life. That the one who called you is faithful, he will do it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 4. Amen? That he who began a good work in you, Philippians 1, 6, will carry it on to completion. I'll just keep doing it if you don't say amen. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, 13. The one who calls you, he's working that salvation in you and he'll complete his work. So the, the vehicle from where you are to where we're going this, the, the, the provision of God is that we can relate to him in prayer as our father. The, the great Leonard Ravenhill, he's not one to mix words. He says, the self-sufficient don't pray. The self-satisfied will not pray. The self-righteous cannot pray. No man is greater than his prayer life. Brother Ravenhill. If you want to set your world on fire, read the book, Why Revival Tarries. It's one of my all-time favorites. I read it. I probably read it. I, it didn't matter. Uh, put it this way. Like, I, I remember reading it probably 10, 12 years ago when I used to travel a lot more to preach. And I'm in my hotel room, and he has this, he has this chapter on give me children or I die. He uses 1 Samuel where Hannah is barren but she's carrying a promise and she's there at the temple crying out for conception. Give me a son, give me a son. And then Ravenhill takes that story about having a burden to see people born again and come into the kingdom. I'm in my bed reading, give me children or I die. I get out of my bed on my knees. Lord, I want a children. I want pieces. So it's a great book. Why Revival Terries? If your faith is dull or diminishing, that will, that'll galvanize your, uh, It'll light your world on fire. No hype. Why revival tarries will set your world on fire. Uh, true prayer, the great theologian D.A. Carson said, true prayer is not a technique nor a performance, but it's a relationship. Aren't you glad? It's not a technique and it's not a performance. It's a relationship. Our Father in heaven. Our Father. I don't know how far we'll get with the Our Father. But the, the first place I want to go 
Um, this may sound elemental, but uh, we need elementals in our life. How does God become my father? That, that's a good question, right? Um, how does God, the father of Jesus, become my father? Well, glad you asked. No one's asking me that, but I'll tell you how. Um, in John 1, it says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, Jesus, the light, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, the Jewish people, but his own, for the most part, did not receive him. Yet to all, read this verse with me, yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. Contrary to popular belief, the only way for God to become your father is by believing and receiving the merits of his son, Jesus Christ. There's a lot of talk about the, the father and is, the, is, is, you know, even with what's happening in the Middle East and, and Jerusalem with sort of three mega religions claim Jerusalem as their holy site, both, you know, Judaism, Christianity, and, and Islam. And all of us don't have the same God. I want to be very, very clear. Okay, there is one God and Father, and the only way up that mountain of connection is through the way, truth, and life of Jesus Christ. We won't get to him anywhere else. Amen? So those who receive him and believe in his name, you have the right. It's the Greek word exousia. It's this authority and power that comes into your life to live like a child of God. How many are thankful for that power? that authority that he extends to us by simply saying, I believe in the Son of God. He is the Savior of the world. Jesus told the great Nicodemus, the brilliant teacher of Israel, "Very, I tell you, you won't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they're born of water and of the Spirit both natural and in baptism and in regeneration to the spirit. That's the three. The flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at me saying, say it with me, you must be born again. So how does God become our, my father, our father, by being born again? Until we come to receive and believe in Jesus, we are actually children of the devil. That sounds harsh, but all I got to work with is the scripture. <laughs> and when you, when, you, when you think about this, don't think because people aren't born again, they're walking around with pitch and fork and little, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being under the authority of the enemy. So they may not vocalize, I'm a child of the devil. In fact, very few would, a very small, small, very low percentage but they're living out of the value system that does not resemble the kingdom of God, but the kingdom of darkness. Namely, the obsession with autonomy, with the self, with pride, with me being at the center. When, when Jesus rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan, it wasn't because Jesus said, uh, it wasn't because Peter said, let's worship the devil. No, all Peter did was say, Jesus, you don't need to go to the cross 
And Jesus was able to locate in the heart of Peter a demonic value that values what humans think more than what God thinks. So he says, get behind me, Satan, because Peter thinks he's being bold, and Jesus, you don't have to go to the cross. He's like, okay, that wasn't your idea. That's the father of lies idea, that we think we're smarter than God. Everything flows from that one core value, that one core lie. So when I say, until you're born again, you're a child of the devil, I'm not, you get what I'm saying? I'm not saying you got a red painted face. And I'm just saying you're living in, in a reality, in a rule, in a realm that does not flow from the heart of God, but from the father of lies, who wants you to believe that you are self-sufficient, you don't need God, you're smarter than him, your, your truth is ultimate truth. But praise God, Jesus comes to us in that chaotic mess and he offers us an alternative Namely, to come out of the father of lies kingdom and to rest in the father of light's kingdom. I love this stuff, man. I'm telling you what I've seen in my father's presence. You're doing what you've heard from your father. He's picking a fight with him. Abraham is our father, they answered. If you were Abraham's children, said Jesus, then you would do what Abraham did, which was to believe the promises of God at great cost. As it is, you're looking for a way to kill me a man who told you the truth that I heard from God. Abraham did not do such things. You are doing the works of your father. I mean, I just, Jesus is just taking it easy on him. We are not illegitimate children, they protested. The only father we have is God himself. Can you imagine what Jesus is feeling when he's, they're saying that? Ugh. If anyone's like, you ever been in an argument and you just knew for a fact you were right, but yet they were zealously arguing, their face turned red, you're like, but I know for a fact you're wrong. Times infinity. God is our father. It's like, no, God is my, okay. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I have come here from God. I've not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you're unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there, there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. Oh, it's such helpful. For he is a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. So this is what we're talking about. The only way for God to become your father is to, to repent, which literally means to, to stop, turn around, rethink. And at the core of that is coming out of the realm of the father of lies, realizing you've believed lies your whole life, but now the truth is coming to you through the person of Jesus by the Holy Spirit, who's called the spirit of truth. And now you realize, nope, he is the only way, truth, and the life. I'm going to yield and submit to his word, his will, and his way. And when that happens, you are transferred, Colossians 1, 13 through 14, from the kingdom of darkness, and you're established as a son or daughter in the kingdom of light. Ah. The father of lies, I wrote this up. Fundamentally, his lies are, God is not good. Anyone ever been tempted to believe that one? Today, anyone been tempted to believe that one? Okay, let's just get real. Number two, this all goes back to Genesis 3, by the way. 
He's a cosmic bully cop seeking to rain on your parade. These are all, we, we can giggle. These are the ones, this is what everyone, these are what the father of lives, this is all he sows. He has no new tricks. He's grouchy and stingy. He's always holding out what is best from you. His word and wisdom cannot be trusted as good or true, and therefore you should call your own shots and rule your own kingdoms. Number five, life submitted to him diminishes joy and freedom, so throw off his shackles and get on living. You should screenshot that and just paste it all over your life and realize, am I believing the father of lies? Because there is a counter truth to all of this, namely God is good. Second, God is not a cosmic bully cop. He's a father who sees your now from your end and he's pulling for you in love. Number three, he's not grouchy. If, if Jesus is a magnet to sinners, to the broken, to prostitutes, something is so dynamically full of joy in life that he's just drawing people far from God so he's not grouchy or stingy. Number four, his word and wisdom are good. He wants to give us not just access and entrance into his kingdom, he wants to give us the keys to the car. Come on. To use it to explore what it means to be a royal son or daughter. And what I love about the, I hate about the father of lies, everything he promised the couple in the garden, they already were given by God. You'll be like God if you do this. No, actually, we already are bearing his image. We're his icons in his garden temple. God knows that if you, no, he's already, like, did God really say you can't? God gave them everything in the garden but one thing. The enemy flipped the narrative. God gave you nothing. And look, the first thing he said is you can't do something. Okay, you get the point. So at every one of these lies, the father of lies, Jesus reveals the truth. We are born in sin, rebellion against the goodness and glory of God, believing all the lies I just showed you. And the only way to the Father out of these lives is through the truth of the Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This message will never, A, lose its edge and its offense to rebellious hearts. B, it will never lose its power. You, you, if you try to dull the blade of the truth of the gospel, you'll end up bludgeoning yourself by believing a half-truth. And when the stuff hits the fan, you won't have the power that the gospel alone will release to your life. So when we try to dull this message, it actually diminishes and dilutes its power. So it has an edge, but it's got power. And here's the good news. God knows how to bring sinful, rebellious hearts to their knees when they see how good and glorious Jesus Christ is in all of his glory. We don't have to worry, will they accept it? Will this be offensive? Darn right it will be offensive. But guess whose job it is to work through the cloudiness and chaos of the human heart, the Holy Spirit. In John 16, 8 through 10, the good news of the gospel is when the Spirit is released, guess what he does perfectly? He reveals the reality of our sin. He reveals the reality of the perfect righteousness that's made available through Jesus. And he reveals that the enemy has been judged and will be thoroughly judged at the end of the age. The Spirit is the one who's able to break into the callous, rebellious, sinful heart and reveal there's an alternative, namely the good news of life offered to us through Jesus Christ.
where God becomes our father. Okay, you know all that stuff, but listen, if you don't know that, and if that's not true of your life before the day's up, let's, let's make sure it's true of your life that God is your father. Does God love the whole world, Chad? That's really harsh. No, of course he loves the whole world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For This is the verse I taught my kids. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. When God saw the world, he saw what happened when the father of lies hijacked Adam's race. And his remedy for a hijacked humanity was to send his son to reveal his perfect image to humanity and his intention for humanity. Namely, to be a royal son or daughter of God, fully alive in the Father's love. Oh. Does God send the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous? Of course. But does that make everyone God's child? No. God loves the world, but not every person is his kiddo. You've got to come to the Father through the Son, period. Sin has separated us from our loving Heavenly Father, but praise the Lord, Jesus is the Lamb of God who took away the sin of the whole entire world. Ah! Jesus is the lamb who's taken away the sin of the world. That in Christ, we are, when we're born again, we can be made a new creation. We're going to talk about prayer probably next week. Ah, there's so, I have uh, 42 slides left. This was like a bonus session. God gave me all this stuff yesterday. I have all these pages on Father, but I'm like, but yet if, we don't know how to become a child of the Father. It doesn't matter. You can't call him Father unless you call him Father through Jesus. And I realized, okay, this may sound foundational. Okay, go back to this teaching when you're sharing the gospel with a friend. This will work. You're under the Father of lies. It wasn't your fault. We all were born with this propensity to want to build our own kingdoms and be our own kings and queens. God knew that when he made you and he's made provision through his son. He's reconciled you to God through Jesus. He didn't count your sins against you. He counted your sins against his son. Yay. So that God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. Oh, I like that. God has taken away the world's sin through Jesus so that we could be called children of God, so that we could call God our Father. Okay, last little verse, and then we'll land the plane. I memorized this when I was 18, and I still like it. Still a good verse. See, or some translations, behold what manner of love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. 
Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he, Jesus, has appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or known him. He's talking about those whose lifestyle is described as constant rebellion. That doesn't mean if you sin, he's not doesn't love you. He's saying if you live B.C. and A.D., the same life, before Christ and after Christ, then I would question if you've received Jesus. Have you been born again? Hallelujah. Now let's get back to prayer. Nope, I'm not doing it because this will be sermon next week. So, um, yeah, like I said, that whole, that whole sermon was like, supposed to be a really quick intro to how to get God as our Father, but I'm thankful we did it because it's true, and, and we need to know how to help people be born again. Did you know that's actually a skill the church needs to learn? Did this thing work? We need to know how to help people get born again. God made a good world that was soiled by sin, God sent his son into that broken world to live the life we were supposed to live but couldn't. And it cost him his life, a death we deserved, but he took for us so that he could give us his life, a life we could never earn or get at by ourselves. And by believing that message, you can be rescued from the dominion of sin, forgiven, declared innocent, justified, made righteous, whole, and holy. And you can call God your Father because the only way back to the Father is through the Son. And contrary to every other world religion, God came to us when we could not get to him. And God demonstrated his own love for us, Romans 5, 8, that while we were far from God, still sinners, Christ died for us. And I love at the end of the gospel of John, it's like, it's almost like John has an agenda using the word father a hundred times. I love this episode that Mary, she falls at Jesus's feet. This is after the cross, after the resurrection. Mary lingers in the garden and here's old Mary just at the feet of Jesus. Every time you see Mary, look at the feet of Jesus. That's where she is. And beloved, that's a safe place to make your home. I just want to live at the feet of Jesus, don't you? <laughs> and I love what Jesus tells Mary. Don't hold on to me. I'm going to my father and your father. To my God and your God. In other words, I got to go ascend and sort of take care of some like heavenly tabernacle stuff. I got to put the blood of Je my blood, not the blood of bulls and goats. I got to show the father we did it. We accomplished our redemption mission so that the world can be saved by believing in what I did for them. Oh, it's such good news. 
When we get that, it unlocks the whole reality we call prayer, okay? That's like next week and the weeks that follow. But at its core, this is unbelievable. Let me see if I can find this slide. It's probably so far. Don't look at the notes. These are going to be next week. I just want one note. Hold on. Don't look. Close your eyes. Oh, this is so good. This is it. So I'll repeat this next week, but get over it. Get over it. This is slide 61 of 80. Just so I remember, I said it, it's on the tape. Interestingly, the only time eternal life is actually defined, by that I mean eternal life is. Obviously, eternal life is described a hundred ways. Amen? But So I'm not being cheeky. But the only time it says this is eternal life, everyone's ears should go, what's he going to say? Here's what he says. That they may know you. so cool. It's so cool because at its core, the reality of the fall is we exchange knowing God, and Jesus is able to heal that. That's why it's so important. We thought we needed to know beyond God or over and above God, and Jesus says no eternal life is to know him, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. What's eternal life? To know him. This is the only scripture that actually says this is what it is. And here's what Dallas Willard, I'm reading The Divine Conspiracy. It is a thick and meaty. It's a little older, but it's a, and it's a manifesto for this stuff. Accordingly, the only description of eternal life is found in the words we have from Jesus, the eternal life that his disciples may know, you, the only true God, Jesus, the anointed one whom you've sent. This may sound to us like mere head knowledge, but the biblical no always refers to an intimate, personal, interactive relationship. Therefore, the eternal life of which Jesus speaks of is not knowledge about God, but an intimately interactive relationship with him. Allah, God is my dad. He's my father. I know how to relate to him as my father by looking at the perfect son and how he related to him as a father. In verse John 2, 6, verse John 4, 16 through 18, as he is, so are we to be in this life. And I would say, principally, before we do the miracles of Jesus, before we have the ministry of Jesus, we do the teachings of Jesus, let's start with, I want the relationship that Jesus had with the father. How about you? How many know everything else is bonus it's essential, it's exciting, but at its core, I want to have the Abba cry in my heart that the Holy Spirit puts inside me. Abba, Father, you're my dad, my father. And how many would say today, I want the Abba cry? Abba is the Aramaic for father. It's a, it's a term of both deep respect and intimate closeness. Abba, Father. How many want God to take you deeper into his heart that he is your Abba? If that's you, can you just stand on your feet? You want God to just let this go deeper in your spirit. God, when I am very aware that when we, when we use the word father, for many, it's a, it can be a trigger word. Listen, I don't take that lightly. I think, honestly, the, like the, I would argue Maybe the number one thing God 
wants to heal is the father wound that humanity carries. Because we've been trained to believe A, in the father of lies, and then B, however good our actual father was, he wasn't perfect. And that God knows that. And so maybe you just want to pray right now for a minute, just in your own spirit, and say, Father, I want you to be my father. I want to believe in you and come to you through your son Jesus today. And maybe you're here today and there's a wound. When I say the word father, you think of a a grouchy, distant, impossible to please figure. And I want you to look to Jesus's face and realize when you see the face of Jesus, you're seeing the father, his pleasure, his love, his acceptance. Maybe today you would say, Chad, I have a wound on the inside, but I want the Holy Spirit to heal it. Can you just lift your hand? If there's anyone like that, don't be shy. There's a wound on the inside. Lord, you see these hands that are raised. And as I've been praying all week, Lord, I pray you would heal the wound on the inside, that you would release revelation that God is our Father, that he loves us, he's for us, He accepts us. He wraps us in his embrace. He whispers tender affection into our spirit. I'm proud of you. You're mine. You're beautiful. You're significant. I I love you. I'm for you. My plans and purposes toward you are good. All of my thoughts about you, there's so many. You could go walk at the end of Grand and all of the grand grains of sand on the seashore would not compare to what I think of you when I see you. Father, I pray you would release the revelation of your fatherhood, that we are your beloved children in our church. And I pray, Lord, you would give us an anointing to go out into a world that's living under the lies of the father of lies. And we'd be able to announce the good news that they can be born again and brought into the kingdom of our father of light, life and love. In Jesus' mighty name, we all said, amen. Amen. Can we just give God a clap offering that he is a good, good father?